0: welcome to the unlocked creative has it been on your heart to write and self-publish a book it's simpler than you think to become a published author hi i'm siobhan and after decades of having a first draft i finally decided to take my power back and bring my book to life in less than three months i was able to self-publish my first book and my mission is to help you to do the same in this podcast you'll learn how to start writing find time to write Get unstuck and find motivation. Learn the complete process of writing a book. Uncover your unique story and who you're writing for. Self-publish and market your first book. You can do anything with your God-led creativity. If you are ready to step into unlocking your own potential in your life, you are in the right place. I'm your girl. Grab your cat, your coffee, and turn on your computer. Let's write. Have you ever wondered how to make the best use of your brain to write? Vanessa McCamley is a coach and facilitator from Link Success, and she specializes in helping professionals reach their optimal potential through the use of neuroscience. She's recently published her book, Rewire for Success. Without further ado, here is the conversation with Vanessa McCamley. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do?
1: I was born in a small country, mid-north coast town. It's a lot bigger these days, called Port Macquarie. I was the youngest of four. I always have very supportive parents, and particularly my dad's always been my mentor and my hero. And my dad always said to me, Vanessa, in life you can do anything you want. You just need to be able to put your mind to it. He said to me, it doesn't matter what job you do if you get hired to do something, just do it better than anybody else. I went, oh, okay. He said, if you have to clean floors or windows, he said, just make sure that you do it better than anybody else. Well, that was my whole philosophy. I never shied away from hard work. In my corporate career, where I was a leader and manager, I had that philosophy all the way through, just do it better than every, everybody else. But as I got higher up and as time went on, that perfectionist that I created ended up being an issue for me. I felt like I hit a ceiling in my career where every year these IT businesses were asking, demanding double-digit growth year on year. I really hit a wall where I thought there had to be another way to be able to reach goals and targets in friendlier ways without impacting our health. So I got really sick. And my mentor at the time in New Zealand had burnout. The difference between the two of us is that I'm here today telling you the story where my poor mentor actually got so sick that he actually ended up dying. And for me, I was on the search from that point in time to find a solution to how can we operate and perform at our best keeping our health and wellbeing in focus at the same time. And how do we strike the right balance between work and personal life and fitting everything that we do in our busy lives in without impacting our health?
0: That's gorgeous. And I want to get to what your book is called.
1: Uh Aha. My book is called Rewire for Success. It's an easy guide for using neuroscience to improve choices for work, life and wellbeing.
0: And in it, you mention what it was like writing the book. Can you tell us about your experience? Yes. Now, to be truthful,
1: it is challenging. And look, everybody told me that writing a book was challenging, but everyone told me starting my own business eight years ago was challenging. And I did that too. I, I tend to like a challenge. So for those in the audience who like a challenge, well, it will definitely challenge you and you'll learn New things about yourself (laughs) and about others and just a new world. It's also very rewarding. For example, I have this amazing testimonial on Booktobia by a leader in Telstra. He manages a sales team and he called the book life-changing. And he said that you'll be amazed how quickly you can change
0: things for the better once you know how. Writers tend to, you know, do a lot of thinking, dreaming, plan, look around and pay attention. We observe, we write and we edit. But is there a limit to how much thinking time we have in a day? Okay, so
1: the word thinking can mean a number of things. When we think about thinking and when we think about thoughts, we have on average between fifty to 70,000 thoughts on average per day. Does that Uh, feel about right for you?
0: (laughs) uh, I I wonder how many of them are just repetitive habits.
1: A lot of them will be, Mm. yes. So what tends to happen, depending on how we code those thought patterns and whether we're in a threat state or a reward state within the brain, which is the brain's um, operating principle, from a performance and productivity perspective in a 24-hour period, on average, it's four hours. Wow so for, for everyone else listening, think about what it is for you so that's just the average And that's because our concentration is actually quite like really deep thinking is really a limited resource and we actually have to try it's like a muscle you've got to train it. It's sort of like if you if you're trying to grow your bicep for example, you can't all of a sudden expect it to be 20 inches big if you've only just started yesterday. It's the same thing with our brain. It's it's a muscle that we need to train the right pathways so that we can get stronger, bigger, faster, all of those things. So by having brain breaks and understanding where you do your best thinking and protecting your deep thinking time. And when it comes to book writing, it's really knowing when you have your best thinking. So in my experience and working with thousands of people, I have found that 70% have a morning brain, 20% have an afternoon brain and 10% have an evening brain. There are other people that will have a combination of those things and I have combinations of that, but I do some of my best work more around that dinner evening time for me. And I find for me In the morning, even though I get up, I feel quite sluggish and my brain's quite sluggish. So I need to do sort of, for me, like a yoga stretch routine. And I have to do a number of things to really get my mind
0: pumping. When we are trying to create a long lasting writing habit, what are some of the things that can help us? You have mentioned, you know, choosing that time of day where we're most switched on. I'd like to know what we can do. So that we're working with our brain rather than against it.
1: Yes. So if you're trying to get through a busy day at work, your brain needs fuel. So unless you have fueled your brain adequately throughout the day, and when I talk about fuel, I'm talking about your diet, exercise. Exercise is very, very important. If I was to give you any tip, is to increase your oxygen throughout the day. Once you start yawning, before bed is great, right? But if you're doing that just before you're about to write your book or write a chapter or write a piece, um, that's not a very good sign. As soon as you start to yawn, that is your brain's way of telling you that I'm out of gas. So it's actually trying to get a huge amount of oxygen to try to function. And how do we get that? Can we turn that around or? No, not in that moment. It takes time to rebuild. So tips would be increase your oxygen throughout your day. Work in maybe 45, 60 minute blocks where you, let's say you work solidly for 45 minutes and you have between five and 15 minutes to get up, move around, get oxygen, go for a quick walk, do yoga, whatever it is that you can do in your five, 10 minutes, even just Deep breathing for five to 15 minutes.
0: I'm interested in your book. You talk about reward triggers. Can you tell us a little bit about those? So, remember,
1: I said that the brain, the key brain's operating principle, is for really minimizing threat. It's not to say we don't want to pay attention to a serious threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, for example, if you're driving along a highway and your tyre Um, Goes flat, you definitely want your amygdala, uh, which is your whole fight, flight, freeze response, to be able to get you out of there ASAP. But the thing is, every time that you have a threat response, it can take sometimes hours for the brain, for the cortisol to actually settle down and for your rational brain to actually come back online. And we use our prefrontal cortex, the front of our brain, to do a lot of our rational thoughts, problem solving, decision making, strategizing, analysing, inhibiting our emotions. So when that goes offline, because it sends oxygen and blood to our heart and our lungs preparing us for that whole flight, fight, freeze response, that can take a lot of energy. If we can be more in a reward response, which is when we get nice doses of dopamine, which make you feel good, it's the brain's natural drug, it ignites motivation, inspiration. Examples of some of my clients, it could be getting positive feedback from others or from team members, um, feeling included or a part of something bigger than themselves, feel like they're part of a community. But we need them a lot more frequently. We need rewards quite often, particularly when we're creating new pathways within the brain.
0: Just touching on the reward triggers. So many of the things that you mentioned were quite socially based. Yes. Is that kind of the core foundation for a reward trigger?
1: Not necessary. It depends whether social is important to you. So for other people, it could be getting a job right. So especially if you're a perfectionist like I was throughout my career, if you like ticking off um, tasks, I say to people, if you aim for really three strategic things that you want to achieve in a day and really visualize before you start them. So even taking one to two minutes to really visualize your intention on how you're actually going to feel from actually achieving those, say, top three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. and so when, so when you go to bed and you do that nice yawn before you go to sleep, you can then go, wow, I really did achieve that and I do feel the way that I intended to.
0: I think this is really crucial for anyone who's writing, who's been writing a book for, you know, weeks, months, some people, years to really take that time to acknowledge, you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis because I think sometimes we can focus on the outcome that we're trying to achieve without acknowledging the process and the steps that we're taking to get to that outcome. And the brain is doing a lot. Like we're doing I – I
1: often have people say to me, oh, Vanessa, my memory – I've got a problem with my memory. And I go, okay, what, what's the problem with your memory? I can't remember things like I used to okay, when you say used to, what what does that look like? How many years ago is that? And they might say 5, 10, 15 years or whatever. And I go, okay, so if you visualize your life back 5, 10, 15 years ago, what did that actually look like? And how much has what you're doing now, like how many more things are you doing now than what you were doing 5, 10, 15 years ago? And then I ask them about how they're fueling their brain. What are they doing throughout the day to actually refuel? And a lot of the time what I find is that we're doing so much more now. Like at no point in history are our brains overwhelmed and living on a diet of immediacy, doing more with less, and it's really impacting our ability to be able to perform at our best.
0: Yeah. So we did talk about reward triggers Yes. Are there punishment triggers that we can use? I'm just thinking about, you know, in order to motivate ourselves as writers, I know that sounds a bit masochistic, (laughs) I don't know, but I'm thinking here of a program called Write or Die and it's a program that punishes writers on a sliding scale of severity. So if they stop writing during a writing session, for example, there's a consequence, a negative consequence, like they might lose I don't know, 200 words of the last paragraph that they've just written forever. So what's your view on that? And why would something like that be effective? Can I ask you, have you actually seen that work
1: in your experience? I've
0: never used that thing because I think it seems rather, um, I think writing is hard enough without being punished for doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so if I talk about motivational mindset, there are two foods for thought. I'm going to firstly talk about motivational mindset. So there's this great video and I will supply it to you. And if you can have the link for people, an academic and professor, her name is Heidi Grant. And it's called Know Your Team's Motivational Mindset. Now, Heidi believes that there are two types of motivation mindset. Um, Specifically, you need to know whether you and your people are more focused on what they have to lose if they don't succeed, or what they have to gain. The two types, the first one's called prevention focus, which is seeing goals to what we may lose. So avoiding mistakes, working slowly, anxiously, when things go wrong, which is more that perfectionist orientation. Wants security, like structure, um, timeline. So if, as an example, a soccer example, is that I would be coaching them not to miss, right? So, and that works quite well if you're a defender and a goalie. If you're a promotion focus, okay, so the opposite. So these are normally people who are great brainstormers. They're focused on what they have to gain. They work quickly. They're idea generators, willing to take risk, best case scenario, innovative, and plan for best case scenarios without thinking about all the possible consequence. So if I was coaching a soccer person, for example, whether it was a defender and goalie and they were more promotion focused, I would get them to visualize what it would be like to winning the trophy. Now, that is one model and one food for thought. Another one that I really like is the work of Dan Pink, and he's a human motivation social scientist. And basically the research that he draws upon says, especially from in a workplace perspective, Mm -hmm. that having rewards that are external, so not intrinsic, don't work. So giving people more money, or if you achieve this, you will gain X. He's saying that that doesn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is because people become narrow focus and that's not where innovation comes from. And it actually trains them to be so narrowed focus that you're actually not getting the best out of their brain. Mm
0: -hmm. So with write or die, for example, would that be an intrinsic motivation? The motivation for the writer would be, you know, for example, I want to write for 20 minutes nonstop and that's my goal. And there's no one really pressuring them except for themselves. So is that intrinsic? I guess it depends on the
1: wording of this, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're saying that there are consequences, mm-hmm. it depends on what those consequences are and how they how they're used. In my experience, it's better to have intern intrinsic reward than a threat. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is you're getting dopamine. If you are feeling threatened, you're likely to send cortisol again to your rational part of the brain and lock it out. Mm. But again, prevention focused type people who that I described before, that structure could work for them. Does that make sense? Mm. But if you're promotion focused, it won't work for you. So it depends on whether you feel your prevention focus or promotion focus. And we're a combination, by the way. So for me, I would say I am probably 60% promotion focus and 40% prevention. So, So watch the videos and then think about the language you need and then communicate that to others. So once you know roughly, and it doesn't have to be perfect, but communicating that to other people you work with and the people you live with can really help because if they know what language that triggers reward for you, then you're more likely to get that. Once you start educating people on the communication that motivates
0: you. Mm-hmm. What is your view on positive affirmations? Do they work? Absolutely. Okay. Can you expand?
1: I, I am a hundred. <laughs> I am a hundred percent convinced because I would not have written my book. I realise that a lot of people have started writing a book or think they want to write a book, but. I wasn't convinced they had the right strategy or the or the right disciplines to actually finish the book. I thought to myself, you know, I need to set a goal. Um, instead of focusing on on all of this, I needed a a goal of something that I could make a positive difference. Saying that I achieved from COVID, and so a girlfriend of mine who we'd go to the gym together with, um, obviously been locked down and only being a radius, we met in the park and we were exercising in the park in pairs. And we both decided to set a goal. And my goal was to write a book. And I thought the book would make a positive difference in the lives of others, knowing how to deal with change. And to share my own story of what it's like going through change. You know, I'm not in any way um saying I don't have obstacles every single person on the planet no matter who you are and where you are have obstacles but knowing how to prime your brain to deal with the known and the unknown is absolutely key to being successful and living a uh, balanced work life and well-being
0: mm. absolutely one of the huge huge bugbears of many writers is procrastination which means Literally means putting it off until tomorrow. So, what what are the key ingredients needed for behavioural change? Look, and this is actually quite
1: a detailed response. And I would say, read the book <laughs> Rewire for Success, particularly in section uh, the fourth section of the food framework, which is really about. It's called the drive model, and it's really about determining your purpose. So. For example, next to my desk here where I am right at the moment, I have Vanessa's vision board. I have all these key things, which is my goal, um, my success milestones in 30, 60, 90 days, positive feedback and who I need that from to help support me along my journey. So it's really important... It uh, doesn't matter whether you're introverted or extroverted, having people to support you throughout your journey, like I had my girlfriend in the park. I would not have got through this book if I did not have the support crew because you feel like you're part of something and you're not doing this alone and that your problems or challenges are actually very similar to other people. And it makes you feel like, okay, this is okay. So positive feedback is really, really key, knowing your values and your why. Your values and your why need to be connected. There's a lot more to that vision board. So it's passions, aspirations, your mantras, but I'm going to just pick a couple. Mm-hmm. So when I was having procrastination or when I was really struggling, and by the way, I struggled a lot throughout that process because I still was working. I still had to build my business. And I have a 17-year-old son who's dyslexic and is about to do his HSC this year. And I run a family and a household and all of those things. So it wasn't like I had ample time. I had to actually really be focused. The mantras, for example, the ones that I can share with you that I had for my book that I think are really, really key. And for me, you write what it is, and I call them the I am statements. And then you back up the why. So for example, I wrote, even though I hadn't written a book before, I wrote down right next to my vision board, I am an author of greatness. Why? I have a great story and many experiences to share from myself and those of my clients that will make a big difference in the lives of others. And so every time I was down or I was stuck, and I was stuck, as I said, many, 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 many times. I would come back to my IM statements because it's so easy to have that little imposter monster on your shoulder telling you oh maybe you shouldn't be doing this or you know maybe Netflix is is more attractive and really that's what I feel like do like it's so easy to fall into that trap it's so easy to listen to that voice to give you self doubt and say I, I don't think you know why are you doing this who are you to write this book and i say that with a genuine belief i've had those voices in my head tell me oh why am I doing this there's so many neuroscience books out there but it actually really made me think so I turned that into well okay if there's lots of neuroscience books out there why is this one different and the reason it's different is because I've had to read to study and learn and go back and study neuroscience. I was reading huge textbooks. I learned how to make it digestible because I personally believe every single person needs to know how your biggest asset, your brain, how it actually operates and works. Mm. And I just think every human being needs to know.
0: And one way that people can find out a bit more about how the How the Brain Works is your book. So where can we find you and your book? Yeah, so go to my website, which is, all one word, linksuccess.com.au. It's been such a joy. Thank you so much for sharing your powerful journey with us today. Thank you. And that was Vanessa McCamley, author, coach and facilitator from Link Success. I hope you got value out of today's show. And if you did, please leave a five-star rating and a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. I absolutely love hearing from you. If you haven't joined us on Facebook yet, go ahead and join the private and free group, The Unlocked Creative Community. It's filled with like-minded writers like you. I can't wait to see you in there. Till next time, take care.